Welcome to the first episode of The Story Pilgrim. My name is Darren Hill. I'm an actor, writer, lover of life, questioner, and founder of The Story Pilgrim. This podcast has come about because I love to listen to people. I'm trying to find the answer to some of life's big questions by listening to the real stories of people I'm lucky enough to meet. In 2017, I walked the Camino de Santiago, the oldest established pilgrimage in Christendom. I did it as a physical challenge, but it soon turned into a spiritual and emotional journey. I walked all 500 miles in 35 days, and I performed the one-man play underneath the lintel 26 times. When I got to Santiago, I was exhausted, but I was also elated, emotional, thinking about all the people I had met on the way. My love for pilgrimages, the act of walking, of getting closer to oneself was realized, and I'm hooked. We are all on a journey, the pilgrimage of life. Each and every one of us has one thing in common, the destination, death. Now, that's scary, isn't it? Morbid, maybe? Is that why it's in our nature to create a god? To want more than this life? Why am I here? Why are you there? What's life all about? So many questions. It is in our nature to tell stories. When you walk a pilgrimage, you get a chance to hear some of those stories on an equal footing. No matter who you are, a pilgrimage is a leveler. You become a pilgrim with just one task, to reach your destination, wherever that may be. I will be walking pilgrimages, meeting people from all walks of life. Some of those encounters will happen on a hilltop, Some will be in a pub, in a taxi, on a bus. It doesn't matter where, it matters that it happens. St Cuthbert's Way Cuthbert lived in the 7th century and was a monk, a bishop, a hermit, and some report him to have been a soldier. He became a monk after seeing a vision on the evening that St Aidan, the founder of the priory at Linda's farm, died. Cuthbert went on to become bishop of that priory. There are many stories about his love for the natural world, healing powers, and generosity of care. In 667, he became a hermit, living in what is now known as St. Cuthbert's Cave, where he contemplated life. Even in death, his journey continued, his incorrupt body being moved by the monks to escape the invading Danes, from his grave on St. Cuthbert's Island to his cave, and then his final resting place, Durham Cathedral. Cuthbert's story has lasted centuries. The drama in the landscape along St Cuthbert's Way is rich. We don't know if St Cuthbert walked along this route as it was established in 1996. Welcome to the first part of St Cuthbert's Way, from Melrose in Scotland to the Holy Island, Linda's Farm. going to go and do the pilgrimage and as I step outside it's pouring down with rain which is to be expected uh, that maybe that's what's going to happen for the foreseeable week technically my pilgrimage is starting right now as I leave my home
I always hope that any journey I take will be an uneventful one. This one had its moments. From an earlier train hitting a cow, causing long delays throughout the day, to the delightful elderly couple sat across from me. It seemed as though the gentleman ate crisps the entire journey. So I literally got off the train at Berwick-upon-Tweed and walked straight out and jumped straight onto the bus to take me across to Melrose, but I have to change at Kelso. Not the bus ride from Berwick to Kelso and then on to Melrose was beautiful. I could see some of St Cuthbert's Way in the distance, as if it was calling to me. And so we're here, finally, we make it, we, I say we, I make it into Melrose and the bus has dropped me right outside Bert's Hotel. The, uh, it's right in the centre here, it's just a lovely little uh, town square, village, yeah, say it's town, town square. So uh, let's go and find, well let's go and get checked in and see if anything is happening at Bert's Hotel. Here we go. Once I was settled into my room at Bert's, I decided to take a little stroll around Melrose. They have an abbey, you know. But it's not exactly, it's not the abbey that St Cuthbert was at. This is, uh, this abbey dates from about 1100 and obviously St Cuthbert was around in the 7th century. But uh, it's beautiful. It's, uh, I can't get in because I'm late because of the cow being hit by the train. But uh, it's wonderful. Day one walking from Melrose to Jedburgh, approximately 13 miles. As you stand in the centre of Melrose, there's no indication, no signs which way the walk is. Luckily, the evening before, I had managed to do a little recce and found the path down the side of someone's house, right by their rubbish bins. You actually walk through their back garden and then... I have found my first St Cuthbert's Way marker just a white plaque with St Cuthbert's Way written on it, has an arrow and in the centre of the arrow is St Cuthbert's Cross. So we're just walking up these wooden steps in this beautiful forest surrounded by bluebells. You immediately climb up the Eildon Hills out of Melrose three volcanic-looking hills that have remnants of Iron Age settlements on top of them. So this is quite a steep climb, and I'm not even halfway up it yet. One thing that I found as I walked St Cuthbert's was that this particular way has a lot of benches. So there's a very strategically placed bench here, halfway up. Uh, probably about three quarters of the way up now. There's a lovely bench and there's a little stone here which has been painted and on it it says Samaritans 116123 you're not alone. 
and uh, yeah, I I do struggle with that sometimes. I know what they mean, but at the moment, as I'm stood on the side of this hill, overlooking this beautiful valley, I I am alone in a way because there's nobody else here. But I bring with me my past. I bring with me the past of my family. And yeah, you physically can be alone, but I think that's absolutely right. You are not alone. You can see why Cuthbert enjoyed being out in this. There's so many stories of him wanting to be out in nature and he didn't want to take the positions as bishop and be in charge of the priory. He didn't want that, but he did, he took it. Not even an hour into the walk and I'm already reflecting, thinking, coming to myself. This is an area of Scotland that I have never visited, and it is stunning. I've been lucky to have travelled the world, and I'm always amazed at how much more there is to see. And it's all breathtaking. So I have come over the Eldon Hills, and uh, there's no markers there's a marker which says uh, for Melrose Paths and it points in both directions and there's no marker for St Cuthbert's Way. So I'm just going to go the way I think I should go, which could be completely wrong. I was right in my thought that I had gone the wrong way. It wasn't a huge diversion, but I was soon back on the correct route. It was getting close to lunchtime and I needed a break. I have just come out of uh, Newton and I am joining the River Tweed for the first time. It's uh, flowing beneath me going out east to Berwick and the swallows are flying around swifts and swallows and I think Drybrook Abbey is around here so I'm going to go and see if I can find Drybrook Abbey. Here I am in the grounds of Dryber Abbey with my roast beef and Mexican cheese chiapato, barbecue beef hula hoops and Dr Emma Wells' book entitled Pilgrim Roots on the British Isles and she talks about Dryber Abbey. She just say it's a must-see diversion and I would agree with that. It's, um, I just walked into the chapter house, chapter room, and that was stunning, just really poignant. She says the current abbey is built on the site of an original chapel, burned to the ground by Edward II of England in 1322, just after lunch. Well, that was rude. So it's been empty for quite a while then. Not like my mouth, which is full at the moment. So there you go, we are at Dryber Abbey. It's absolutely lovely. I'm so glad I took a detour and I'm having my lunch. Uh, and we'll get back onto St Cuthbert's Way. I don't normally take diversions like that. I'm the type of person who likes to get a job done. I have a place to go, I go there. I don't dilly-dally. I'm so glad I did stop at Dryber Abbey. I had the whole place to myself. It was so tranquil. It's special, it's history, it's there. 
While I was there, I received a call from an old school friend, Julian, who lives in Newcastle. We arranged to meet for breakfast the next morning. I got myself back on the route and walked along the River Tweed for a few miles. The river ebbing and flowing, it was as if the river was talking to me, teaching me about the pace of life, showing me that it's okay to have mad, crazy moments, because eventually, the stillness will come. Just go with the flow. I am at Maxton Kirk, which is dedicated to St Cuthbert. Uh, it's been reputed that this has been a site of worship um, in continuous use for almost a thousand years. It's quite a plain church. This one that's currently standing is of the Church of Scotland, surrounded by the graveyard, which is immaculately kept. Went the wrong way again. After Maxton, there uh, are two white arrows pointing you in a direction. So I just followed them and a guy was walking along with his dogs and, and we got talking and he's just like, uh, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm on St Cuthbert's Way. He's like, no you're not, it's back there. <laughs> okay, so he put me right. So I'm back now, well for the moment I'm back on it. But it's really, really poorly signposted and there's so many ways. He's like, yeah, no, that's for St Boswell's Way. My accommodation for that evening was in Jebra. Jebra is not on St Cuthbert's Way, it's about two miles south. I was unsure where to get off the route. It seemed as though most people leave the route at Hairstains, but for some reason I felt I needed to keep going. I chose a point where St Cuthbert's crossed a B road. My feet were starting to ache by this time. I've been training, but I haven't done a serious walk for a while. I'm walking alongside the A68 now. There are signs more so here. Just walked up basically a mudslide because May has been so wet. The majority of the trail that I'm walking on is really just mud. It's just squidgy. So it looks like now I pretty much stay along the A68 until we get to Hairston's and then I turn down to Jebra. So my phone is dying very quickly, but no rush, everything is well, the sun has come out. Deer Street, a Roman road, some 156 miles long, from York up to Scotland, ending at the Antonine Wall, makes up part of St Cuthbert's. I was walking along it. And I've come to a point called Liliot's Cross, and this apparently had a stone here in the 14th century when the English and the Scottish would meet uh, to try and sort out their differences. Obviously it wasn't very successful. They've been trying that long, still trying. It's five to four. So I reckon if I get to the Jebra by six o'clock, I'd be lucky. Do I think that? I don't know. Might be later. I passed Hairstains and it was getting very quiet. I felt like this was not the right way and I had made the wrong choice. I was still on the route, I needed to get to Jebra, but my GPS on my ever-fading phone was telling me I was going further away. But I'm stubborn and I felt that the B road was the right place to go, so I ploughed on. Still going. 
back down by a river. I'm not quite sure which river this is. And I think the place that I've chosen to get off St Cuthbert's Way is much further along than what other people are doing with regards to getting to Jebra. It's a lot longer than what I thought it was. I got to the B road and as I was climbing over the crash barrier to get onto the road, a white van was approaching me, beeping its horn, constantly beeping. I thought, what? I'm not in your way. There's no other vehicles on the road. Why are you beeping at me? I looked up right as the van was level with me and looked the driver square in the eyes. I knew those eyes. It was my brother, Gareth. So I have to re I have to record this because this is hilarious. I was like, "Hello, how are you? Good to see you." That was hilarious because I'm like, this was the point where I stopped and I was like, "I have no idea how I'm going to get to my bed and breakfast from here," and you drive straight past. Got <laughs> left. My brother is a self-employed courier. He knew I was doing this walk, but had no idea where I was. He had taken a job that morning from Scarborough to Liverpool, and then another job from Liverpool to Berwick. And then he intended to call me to find out where I was after he dropped off his shipment. The chances of us being in the same place at exactly the same time were slim, but it happened. I jumped into his van. Flash's name, the Flash. guinea pig. But I have no idea that there was, I thought there was just one guinea pig. I'm sure we had two of each. I can't even remember having two. Dash. Was it Flash and Dash? Could have been. Or am I just making that up? I think you might have just made that up. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's another thing. Flash is like, there, all though. But one of them two will know. I don't even remember having two rabbits. I thought we only had one. I thought we only had one of each. I'm sure we had two. Or maybe we. Not, maybe not, wasn't at the same time. Maybe we had one. We did definitely only have one rabbit and one guinea pig, and that's by the by. I finally made it to my bed and breakfast that evening around 7pm with the help of my brother. It was a long day, not many stories collected, but a wonderful one. An amazing chance meeting with my brother, my interaction with the environment. I was a happy bunny, whose name was definitely not Dash. Day two, from Jebra to Yet Home, approximately 14 miles. Julian joined me for breakfast and dropped me back at the point I had met my brother the evening before. As we were about to part, another friend, Andrew, called. I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know if I approve of it, but I, 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 I urge you both to continue. Thanks. Thank you. There is, there is very little going on around here that isn't green yeah, and, and not... grassy. Okay. Well, there's not many gondolas. Day two, approximately 10 a.m. So I am a couple of miles into today's walk and I'm in a field full of cows and they're all just stood right in the way of where we're supposed to go. So I'll just walk through and lots of beautiful little calves. Hello. Exactly. They're all just sort of like, what are you doing in my field? Excuse me. 
coming through. Now this fence is electric. Oh, there's a cute, such a cute little calf. He's all like brown and white. And that must be his mum. Oh, one of them wants to come with me. Sorry, you're gonna have to stay. Yeah, see you later. Thanks. So far, my encounters with other people, both fellow pilgrims and people living in the area, was limited. I came across two gentlemen clearing the way, who explained to me that they hadn't put all the signs back on the way. Put them back? Why were they taken down in the first place? That's, that's how I got lost yesterday. At Bert's and then in Jebra, I was sure there was a lady who had been there at both locations, but I never spoke to her. This morning, after my encounter with the cows, this same lady caught me up. Her name is Anne, a retired head teacher from Peckham. We walked together that morning. Uh, and there, the Red Cross provide um, a house in Hackney, near, uh, near um, Dawson Junction, uh, where during, I think, four days a week, the Red Cross provide food and just a place for people to go and showers and washing machines and all those sorts of things. Okay. And then one day a week, the refugee council take that over. And so I was in that on that day. So we took uh, only just tour. Were well, they from predominantly one area? Well, or? not really. I mean, the the uh, the um, adults, quite a lot of people from Eritrea, uh, Sudan. All, all over the world actually, not just there. Sure. But the children, the, you know, they came from a lot from Afghanistan. You had a lot from Afghanistan. Okay. And a lot from Sudan and Eritrea actually. Have the children come on their own or are they with families no. and stuff? Mostly they're on their own. Well, the ones we, we met. But so do you still do that? No, yeah. they stopped it during lockdown. Because of lockdown. Because, um, well, what do they do? What do these... They were in hotels, mostly the ones that the clients that, uh, you know, this this group worked with were in hotels. Okay. Um. As you can hear in the background, the two gentlemen who I'd met before had leapfrogged us and they were clearing the path ahead. I could hardly hear Anne. They were still doing it on the telephone and trying to pursue Okay, so they were getting some sort of support. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At least we know we're going in the right direction. <laughs> Anne told me about her daughter. daughter uh, she's a singer. She runs a performing arts school. Fantastic. Um, in, on like a Saturday in the Sunday one. Yeah. Uh, and she'd, and because that gave her, she's dyslexic, funny enough, she's dyslexic. Okay, the best um, of us are. <laughs> She went to, to this thing called the Centre for Young Musicians, which is at the Elephant and Castle, which is the most incredible place. Um, and it's really kind of very, very high standard. Mm -hmm. um, 
and they just take you know kids like South London um, and you have to audition but it may, it's, it's just trans I mean it's just made her life really I think I wasn't a good teacher but I was a better head than a teacher but sure. anyway I used to have to go and you know observe teachers uh -huh. and so what you see now it is it is incredible what teachers can get out of children and how much they can enjoy uh, the lessons I, I, you know that's really good to was, hear it was yeah it was wonderful yeah and what's changed then better teacher training okay uh, what? a technology does help you know mm -hmm. so if you're in English you can use a whole number of things mm -hmm. to illustrate or to kind of push children thinking on it you know I kind of thought man you can do that I think the kind of people who are coming into teaching, on, I think actually probably it was London teachers. Um, you know, if you're going to teach in London, you've got to be pretty committed because you're going to be basically paid the same if you're in you know, right. Richmond. You, I, you do get a bit more money yeah, yeah. in London. Whatever else For is. a present, someone gave me a map reading skills class. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> it was terrible. I went to City Lit and I did a course on quantum mechanics. Amazing. Which I understood about 0.5% about. And we, we started with kind of like the forces and gravity. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and I, I kind of got it, that gravity, you know, mm -hmm. quite straightforward. Mm -hmm. I kind of got it, and, but I didn't quite get it. Anyway, after the course, we used to go down to the pub. And I said to this woman who was a science graduate from Cambridge, <laughs> I said, the thing is, I don't even understand gravity. And so, and so she looked at me and she said, sorry Anne, nobody does. And I thought, oh my God, I've been really kind of torturing myself all this time because I couldn't even get gravity. Yeah. And then she's, no, nobody does. Nobody does. Nobody really understands it. Yeah. Uh, and they say, there's a, I think it's a guy called Carlo Ravelli says, you know, if someone tells you they understand quantum physics, they definitely don't, <laughs> you know, because I don't, you know, these professors, yeah, they, yeah. nobody really understands. But it is quite, quite Before I started recording Anne, she told me that she didn't have any stories to tell. That amazes me that she feels that way. I had a lovely morning with her, walking, talking, inspiring each other. Anne was only walking as far as Moor Battle that day, an area famous for the legend of the Linton Worm, a mythical beast. Google it. We reached Moor Battle at around 12.15pm. Anne and I had lunch at the local village shop. We thanked each other, swapped emails, and I pushed on to Yet Home. Next challenge was Wide Open Hill. Another steep climb, but stunning. On my way up, a deer ran in front of me. I nearly stepped on a frog, and a partridge angrily chucked at me. On the top of Wide Open Hill, there was another herd of cows, have you ever watched a cow eat grass? I've come from there yesterday. Beautiful. And like I said, it was wonderful talking to Anne this morning. Um, but it is, you know, when you put yourself in an environment like this, it's very inspiring. It makes you feel small and insignificant which then I think helps you to see the bigger picture. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot to ponder. And it's good having this time. It was great having that time this morning with Anne, but it's also great having that time, that space, space to yourself. 
and that word self oh, is a really steep hill coming up. Oh no! I'm going to save my breath. That was the steep bit, and I'm at a point now. There's a sign here: St Cuthbert's Way, wide open hill, 1,207 feet, 368 meters. This is the highest point on the way, and also the halfway point between Melrose and Linda's farm. I've only been going a day and a half, but it's so peaceful, and it's so tranquil. Does it like a reservoir or lake down there? Seventh century people were wandering around this area, people living, trying to figure it all out. Some looking to a god, some looking to the earth, some looking to the skies, to nature. And when it's laid out in front of you like this, it really does make you think. Sometimes it's hard to articulate what, uh, what's going inside your head. How do you put something like this into words, in a play, on the screen? on a radio drama, into a podcast. And it started raining again. Oh, I'm all wet. My back hurts and all, I just want a bath. That's it. I'm really glad I had that full Scottish breakfast this morning. That's done me well. Whoa, it's a big bee. Anyway, um, yeah, halfway. Tan tan tan. This is Darren Hill at Wide Open Hill. I'm a day and a half into a five-day walk, and I have already done half of the distance. That maths doesn't really work out, but it means that the next three and a half days will be easy, right? Right? You'd hope so. So far, this walk has been amazing. I have felt a connection to the environment that I haven't felt for a long time which in turn brings all thoughts back to myself. This isn't a selfish action, it's a strengthening of who I am, of why do I think the way I do? Why does the environment act the way it acts? What does that mean? My walk with Anne helped me see life from her perspective, and that helps. It helps me to make sense of my life. I'm grateful for that. Join me for episode two, where I will reach the final destination, the Holy Island, Linda's Farm. The approach to that island was one of the most magical and mystical experiences I have ever encountered. You don't want to miss it. Until then, stay safe, stay happy, and listen. You've been listening to episode one of The Story Pilgrim, St. Cuthbert's Way. The Story Pilgrim was written and produced by Darren Hill. Original music composed and performed by Anya Backer. For more information about The Story Pilgrim, Darren and Anya, go to thestorypilgrim.com or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at thestorypilgrim.